All righty, enough shenanigans. I know why you came here today, and that's to hear the word of the Lord. I don't know who said them, but I like those amens just now. We've been in John 14. This is the third week we are exploring this most wonderful passage of Scripture, John 14, a very beloved chapter in the Bible. Many people say it's their favorite chapter in the Bible. I'm going to go back and we'll read right starting with verse 1 in chapter 14 and we'll go down through, what is it? Uh, verse, I don't know. I'll stop when I'm ready, I guess. First I've got to get to John. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. You trust in God, trust also in me. There is more than enough rooms in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And when everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am. This is one of the reasons this is a most beloved chapter of the Bible, just for the promise of Jesus to provide life after death. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. If you had really known me, Jesus continues on, you would know who my Father is. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. I like the way that Philip gets a little play here in the New Testament. You don't hear about Philip very often. He's only mentioned in the Gospels um, three times where he's actually speaking or plays a role. In each way, each case, he's a little bit tentative. You know, they talk about doubting Thomas, and I like to think of Philip as being a little bit tentative in his faith. He shows up in chapter 6 where Jesus is going to feed the 5,000 and says to the disciples, you feed them. And Philip's the one that says, Lord, how are we going to feed all these people? We don't have enough food. That was Philip. He shows up again in chapter 12 where some Greek-speaking people who are visiting Jerusalem seek out uh, Philip to ask him, could you put us in touch with the Lord, Jesus? They want to see Jesus, and they ask Philip. And Philip's not so sure about that, so Philip goes to Andrew and says, hey, Andrew, these guys want to see the Lord. And Andrew's the one that takes them to see the Lord Jesus. And then you have the third time that Philip's name is mentioned as one of the apostles in the Bible. And again, he seems to be a little tentative. Philip, he says, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And last week we explored that idea that Jesus is claiming to be God. It's on the website. You can read it or listen to it if you wish. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. So just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Again, that was last week. And then Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. 
Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. The truth of the matter is, that last phrase, those last promises of Jesus to ask him anything and he will do it, deserve a message all by themselves. And perhaps I'll come back to that, but let me suffice it to say before I begin to preach on what I think is uh, the greater uh, passage and the greater thing I want us to learn, and that's the greater works. Today I'm talking about what does Jesus mean when he says, my followers will do greater works. But I can't pass over that where he says, you can ask anything in my name. And we read that and we so often take that out of context and think, oh, Jesus said we can pray for anything we want in his name and he'll give it to us. So, Lord, I'm praying to hit the lottery or whatever it might be. We take that verse out of context. But when you read the verse in its context, he's talking about the greater works that we're going to talk about. And the greater works is what he's referring to when he says, ask anything in my name. He's talking about the greater works there. And I will answer the prayer that goes along with my Father's will as it concerns the greater works. This is just not ask for the lottery or a new car or anything like that. Got to read the verse in its context. So, um, anyway, I need to talk about that some more, though, but just couldn't help but pass that on. Would you pray with me, our Heavenly Father? I thank you for this opportunity to stand here and speak on your behalf and pray, as always, that the Spirit would catch all of us up in these moments that we might come to a greater understanding of who you are and how you want to work in our lives, and especially what these greater works are all about it. Help us to understand this truth, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Speaking of being surprised, I'm sure that Philip was surprised when he heard Jesus say that about the greater works. Thinking about being surprised at hearing the truth. There was a, a particular church that was observing a Pastor Appreciation Month, which is always in October, and a certain family had invited the pastor over for dinner one Sunday as a result of that. And um, the lovely young couple was in the kitchen preparing dinner for the pastor while the pastor was in the living room with the seven-year-old son making small talk and happens to say to Billy, Billy, uh, do you have any idea what we're having for dinner tonight? And Billy says, yeah, I'm pretty sure we're having goat. And the pastor says, goat? And he's wondering, where did he come up with this goat? What makes you think we're having goat for dinner tonight? And Billy says, well, Dad told Mom last week we might as well have the old goat over for dinner on Sunday as any other day of the week. <laughs> So anyway, preacher was surprised. Was he more surprised than Philip? I don't know. We'll have to decide. Philip certainly must have been shocked and surprised when Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to the Father. I told you that I'm preaching expositorily. It's different from a... Um, topical sermon where a preacher picks out a top topic and goes to town on it. I'm going to kind of, I've been trying to go verse by verse and give her a better explanation. And so I want to just start with the very first part of it here when Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Um, the Living Bible that I'm reading from doesn't do justice to those words. The New American Standard Bible kind of does a better job when it has Jesus saying, 
Truly, truly, I say unto you, there's a double use of the word. It's not just I tell you the truth, but truly, truly, I say unto you. The King James has it, verily, verily, I say unto you. And if you could read Aramaic, which Jesus is speaking, Jesus is saying, amen, amen. Now you might recognize that word, amen, as it's pronounced in the Aramaic, as being our word, amen, which usually comes at the end of a prayer. And when that word comes at the end of a prayer or a sentence, it does mean amen, and it kind of means so be it, is the transliteration. So be it is the best definition of it. But when the word amen is used in the double sense, amen, amen, at the beginning of a sentence or a phrase, it's trying to add solemnity and authentication. And you better stand up and pay attention, because what I'm telling you is the God's honest truth. One of my favorite Bible commentators is William Hendrickson, and he's, he says, uh, I most solemnly tell you, is the way he translates that. I most, Jesus is saying, I most solemnly uh, tell you. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, I am Lord of heaven and earth, therefore I approve of this message. <laughs> Although, wait a minute. Most people who say that today aren't always telling the truth, are they? <laughs> Sorry about that. But the first part's true. I am Lord of heaven and earth. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Leon Morris is another one of my commentators, and he's talking about that same phrase. And he says that it marks the words as uttered before God, who is thus invited to bring them to pass. Kind of gives us a, more of a meaning for what Jesus is trying to talk about. He said that Jesus is marking these words, verily, verily, as uttered before God. The words are being spoken before His Father, who is thus invited to bring them to pass. To bring what to pass? To bring the greater works to pass. What are the greater works? That's what we want to talk about today. What are the greater works that Jesus is talking about? What are the greatest works that He's promising His followers to be able to carry on? And the answer is given very nicely in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the most exciting book that anybody could ever read. And when you read through the book of Acts, you f discover three ways in which the um, deeds or the greater works of the apostles are, are greater than the deeds that Jesus did, actually. Three ways in which what the apostles did and are going to do are greater than the works of Jesus. And the first way is this. What the apostles did is greater than what Jesus did is because they reached many more people than Jesus ever did. Even a cursory reading of the book of Acts shows this to be true. And the summary statements that Luke, the author, peppers throughout this writing of his, the book of Acts, um, magnifies it. And so there's six summary statements at the, in the book of Acts that come at the end of certain uh, sections of the writing. The first one is in Acts 6-7. So God's message continued to spread, and the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. What I'm trying to emphasize here is the book of Acts tells us that the apostles could reach many more people than Jesus was ever able to reach. And so Acts 9.31 says, The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, Galilee and Samaria, and became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Acts 12.24, Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. 
Acts 16. Then they went from town to town. That's Paul and Silas and Timothy. Instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles. And the churches were strengthened in their faith. And the churches grew larger every day. Acts 19.20. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. And the very last two verses of the whole book of Acts says, For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. And he welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus. And no one was trying to stop him. The book of Acts attests to the fact, in other words, that the apostles were enabled by God's grace, the Holy Spirit who had filled them, and the answers to the prayers, they were able to reach many, many, many more people than Jesus himself ever reached. So when Jesus predicts, guys, you're going to do greater works, it has to do with they're going to be able to reach greater numbers of people. Very evident in the book of Acts. Secondly, and closely related, they are going to be able to reach more people because now Jesus is present through them to more people. While Jesus is in Palestine, when he's on the earth living before he dies and is raised again, he is limited to one spot geographically, right? After he dies, he says, I'm going to send the Spirit to you. And the Spirit is going to be my representation with you, and so that wherever you go, I'm going with you. And so the book of Acts testifies to the fact that now Jesus is no longer limited to one geographical location. Jesus is present wherever the disciples go. And so those guys can do greater works now because Jesus is everywhere present that they are. And the third reason the book of Acts gives us about the greater works, that the apostles will do greater works, is because, quite simply, the works that they are able to accomplish are greater because they're more spiritual in nature than physical. They're more spiritual than physical. And what I mean by that is, the miracles of Jesus, as wonderful as they are, you know, the turning of water to wine, the feeding of the multitudes, uh, the healings that he did, even the raising of Lazarus. These are wonderful, great works. We call them miracles. And there's some of that in the book of Acts. But the greater works are the works where people are converted to Christ and become Christians because they're greater works because they touch all eternity, as it were. You think about Lazarus. He was raised from the dead, but guess what? Lazarus eventually died. But by God's grace and the Holy Spirit working through the apostles, Lazarus lived again even after he died the second time. And this is why Jesus says, you're going to do greater works. And the greater works are because they help people touch all eternity. So the book of Acts gives us the answer about what the greater works are. I mentioned Philip before, and I was thinking about, I wonder if there was a time that Philip thought back on this time in the upper room with Jesus, when Jesus said, Philip, you're going to accomplish greater works. Because I'm, I'm, you know, if I'm Philip, and I'm sitting there in that upper room, and Jesus says, you guys are going to go do greater works than me. I mean, it would have been one thing if Jesus... He says not only you're going to do the same works, you're going to do greater works. And if I'm Philip, I'm thinking, yeah, right, Lord. I'm going to do greater, I'm going to turn water to wine. 
I'm going to raise somebody from the dead. No way. And yet they go out and they do. And, and here's Philip later in the book of Acts. This is cool. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under, under the Candace, Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship as a Jew, and he was now returning home. And seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and walk beside that carriage. And Philip ran over there, and he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Let me turn back to Isaiah a little bit so you can get a handle on what this eunuch was reading in this carriage. Prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 53, written 750 years before Jesus. He was despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's paths to follow our own. And yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. He had done no wrong. He'd never deceived anyone. He was buried like a criminal and put in a rich man's grave. And this is what the Ethiopians reading out of Isaiah, chapter 53, when Philip is told by the Lord, go up there and listen to what that guy's saying. And says, Philip ran over and heard it and said, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up with him into the carriage and sit with him. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this very scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Lord, or look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And Philip baptizes him. I just got to thinking about that this morning, you know. A few weeks earlier, Jesus had said to Philip, Philip, I promise you, you're going to go on to do the same works I'm doing, even greater works. And a few weeks later, I just wondered if when that whole scene was over, Philip thought to himself, you know, the Lord was right. <laughs> the book of Acts is a testament to the fulfillment of the words of Jesus. Verily, verily, I say unto you, you're going to do greater works than me. Well, there's the meaning. Do they have any meaning for you and I today? And the answer, of course, is yes, they have meaning for us today. Because the whole, same Holy Spirit that came to the disciples to empower them to be the apostles has been given to believers today so that we might go into the world and accomplish the greater works. We are enabled to create or empowered to do the greater works that Jesus was talking about. You and I in our church. That's why our church exists to do the greater works. That's what we're all about, to do the greater works. We have the opportunity to be the presence of Jesus for other people. It's amazing. We can participate in greater works. The things that we're doing in the life of the church are the greater works. And note, by the way, that the greater works are always done on behalf of others. The greater works are always done on behalf of other people. William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury, said in 1943 something that's 
startling. <laughs> he said the church is the only institution that exists for those who are not its members. And the church needs to constantly remember that. The church exists, it's the only institution that exists on the face of the planet for those who are not yet its members. That's why we have a mission statement of sharing God's grace with our community. This is what we're all about. This is our calling. This is our destiny as a church. It is our destiny to do greater works for the Lord Jesus. And those greater works are always on the behalf of other people, primarily speaking, primarily. This is then is what needs to drive everything that we do at Cross Point Community Church. The idea that we are participating with Christ, the risen Lord, working through us in the greater works. It needs to drive everything that we do in this place. I was reading an article in Forbes magazine by a business consultant named Liz Ryan. She's pretty famous in the business consulting world. Liz Ryan. And she wrote something that caught my eye that it'll only fit when I get through with it here. and It'll make sense to you then why I'm telling you this story. She talks about the fact that in most businesses, most organizations, they're driven to make their people happy. And she said that's often taught in business settings that one of the things you need to do, bosses, is make your employees happy because happy employees are productive employees. And she goes, no, 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 no. It's not about being happy. And she says the most important thing for any business, she's talking primarily businesses, but it applies to any church because we're an organization also. She says that the most important thing to do is help those employees, i.e. you, to connect to a greater mission. It's more important that we connect to a greater mission than we are be happy, in other words, is what she's saying. And she kind of gives an example. She says, imagine the, a vi the greatest violin maker in the world. She doesn't know who the greatest violin maker in the world is, so she said, let's imagine it's a man named Franco who lives in Italy and has a little studio where he has 25 or 30 employees, and they're making the best violins in the whole world. And... Uh, she says, is Franco always happy as the boss of 25 or 30 employees who are trying to make the best violins in the whole world? Is he always happy? She says, no, he's not always happy. He's sometimes frustrated. Sometimes he's confused. Sometimes he's exhausted, just like we are. Not always happy. But she says that those guys live and breathe violins and people around the world rejoice. And that's what the people who make violins need to remember day after day after day. We are making the best violins in the world and people around the world rejoice as a result of it. Not saying it's wrong to be happy. I was trying to tell the kids a while ago, it's fun and, and I sure hope that it's happy here at Cross Point Church. Are you happy? <laughs> are you happy? Yeah, we're happy. But that shouldn't be the driving force of any church, its leadership or anything else, just to make people happy. The thing that's going to make us cohesive, the thing that's going to drive Cross Point Community Church, the thing that's going to empower us, and the thing that's going to keep us going is the idea that we are connected to a greater mission. And that's accomplishing the greater works on behalf of the Lord Jesus. For Liz Ryan says, happiness is only the first station stop on the train that continues on to fulfillment, mission, and absolute buy-in. 
That sentence is pregnant, and I'm going to read it again. Happiness, she said, is only the first station stop on the train that continues on to fulfillment, mission, and absolute buy-in. I love that. And so the accomplishing of the greater works is what Crosspoint or any church should be about, sharing God's grace with our community. I love her sentence, those guys live and breathe violins and people around the world rejoice. And I thought to myself, those guys at Crosspoint, they live and breathe the greater works and the people of Chippewa Lake rejoice. Did you get that? The people at Crosspoint live and breathe greater works and the people of Chippewa Lake rejoice. You want to hear from somebody who rejoices? Somebody around us? Got this as a text about a week ago. Randy, please forgive the long text, but I felt led to share this with you. I had the house to myself this evening. Instead of binge watching an old TV show, I decided to read some scripture assigned from the letters of Paul study manual. Afterwards, I felt led to open my calendar and look back to see what on our schedule was last year at this time. Here's what I found. On January 16th, this would have been 2019, Dar and I met you at the church. Our marriage and my soul was in shambles. After patiently listening to us, you concluded with an invitation to join the disciple New Testament group you were teaching at that time. We accepted, attended, and well, the rest, as they say, is history. The journey thus far has been nothing short of miraculous. I thank God and will be eternally grateful that he chose you to share his grace with us. When I look at where we are now in such a short period of time, the phrase God of wonders comes to my mind. I am in awe of the truth contained in those three simple words. God bless you, my friend. That's somebody who's rejoicing. <laughs> That's somebody who's participated in the greater works. And what I want to convey to you is, it might seem like I was directly involved in that greater works thing, and I was, but only because of you. Only because everything that you folks do was that story enabled to happen. Because all of us participate in those kind of things in everything that we do in this place, and that's what I'm trying to give us a vision for, that everything we do in this place contributes to accomplishing greater works in the name of the Lord. I was just the lucky one who happened to be here that night. But that's because you guys give money to pay me a salary to be here. And that's very important. And we're able to support an administrative assistant in this place for the same reason. As a matter of fact, there was a parking lot for that couple to pull into because you helped us purchase this building. And there's lights on. And there's heat on. And people greet you when you come in the door. And everything that goes into a Sunday morning worship service is set up so that people can experience the greater works of God that are going on all around us through anybody who's filled with the Spirit, anybody who's in Christ, who manifests the presence of Jesus to all of us. You just walk up to somebody on a Sunday morning and you smile and you reach out a hand or you give it a hug. You're doing it in the name of the Lord. You are building on those greater works step by step, seed after seed that's planted and watered. It's, it's everything that we do. It's you guys who are up, 
on the stage doing music on Sunday mornings. It's the greeters, the ushers, the Kathy Shepherd right back there is participating in greater, greater works with those kids right now. See her back there? It's whatever we do in the life of the church. Greater works were being performed, in my mind anyway, yesterday at the polar bear event. As Alan Robbins lifted up the name of the church several times and thanked all the people from the church who were volunteering, that has an impact in the community on the lives of other people. And God is using us to plant seeds in their lives. And when he's ready to bring those seeds forth, he'll water them, he'll nurture them with other people. And everything we do in this place is accomplishing greater works on behalf of the Lord. And I want to thank you today for everything that you do on behalf of the Lord. Robin, the prayer that you prayed so beautifully a little while ago was one of those greater works that Jesus promised that we would do because your prayer ministered God's grace to people in this room in different ways, to be sure. But I know that there were some in this room who God's Spirit was talking to you through. Everything we do in this place, in my mind, is considered a greater work. And it's a privilege for all of us to do that. Popeye and Olive Oil, you were doing the greater works yesterday. And we thank you. Everybody's participating in greater works. When the Lord Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, you're going to go on to do what I've been doing and even greater works. This is what he's been talking about. He's talking about using his vessel, the church, filled with his spirit, empowered to do his stuff, the greater works. I want to close with just a story about a guy who participated in greater works. It's, a, it's an old story from the early 1900s, but it spoke to my heart today, and I, and I pray that it spoke to you. It kind of comes off that sentence that Liz Ryan said, that happiness is only the first station stop on a train that continues on to fulfillment, mission, and buy-in. This is a story about buy-in. It's a story that concerns William Borden. Borden. And at first I thought he was part of the Borden Dairy, but actually there was a mining company named Borden Mining Company back in the 1900s, and his father was wealthy. And uh, William was growing up in a wealthy household, and he was going to a prestigious school in Philadelphia. And his father expected him to go on to Oxford and college and get all these degrees. But after he graduated from high school, his parents sent him on a world tour before he'd go to college. And he went on this ship and he went all around the world. And this William Borden, who was destined to be a great CEO or something like that of his father's company to take it over and to be independently wealthy, his heart was touched as he went around the world and he saw a lot of poverty and a lot of people in need. And he wrote his father a letter from somewhere across the ocean and said, Dad, I've decided not to go to school and I'm not going to take over your company. God is calling me to be a missionary. And when I come back home, I'm going to go to school to become a missionary. His father wrote him a letter back, said, If you do that, you're throwing your life away, son. And he came back anyway and he went to school. He went to Princeton a Theological Seminary. He got a degree. And he decided he was going to go to China and work with Muslims living in China at the time, in the early part of the 1900s. And he's going to decide to go to Cairo, Egypt, and stop on the way to learn Arabic 
and to find out what living a Muslim life is going to be like so that he can minister to those people when he gets to China. And when he gets to Cairo, he's only there three weeks and he comes down with spinal meningitis. Spinal meningitis. And he dies a couple weeks after coming down with spinal meningitis. And everybody thought that that was a tragedy, that that occurred. But you know how God is always trying to get good from behind the scenes and you know Romans 8:28 that God always causes things to work out for the good to those who love the Lord. And all these friends of William Borden back in the United States heard that story and dozens of them were inspired to become missionaries on their own and went out all over the world as a result of what William Borden um, his testimony as it were. His Bible was found with three phrases in it that were written in certain times of his life. When he was arguing with his father over becoming a missionary, he wrote down in his Bible somewhere, uh, no retreats, no retreating. And that had to do with his dad. Uh, he was teaching a class at Princeton where most of the school was coming to his Bible study. And he wrote down in his uh, Bible when he was reflecting on that, said, no reserves. And the last thing he wrote in his Bible as he lay on his deathbed in Cairo was no regrets, no regrets. And so as I have the opportunity and the privilege to speak to you cross pointers today and thank you and encourage you and try to inspire you to continue on to do the greater works, no retreats, no reserves, no regrets. We will continue into the future sharing God's grace with our community and giving God thanks for every opportunity that we have. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the greater works that Jesus promised. And as amazing as those works were in the book of Acts that he was speaking about, the cool thing is that you continue to use your people today to pull off miracles in the lives of other people. Like miracles like the one we heard just a little while ago. We thank you for that opportunity and those changed lives. There are many people sitting here today whose lives have been changed, who could stand up and testify to the power of the Lord at work in their lives, who've changed their lives for the better. And we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the inspiration about the greater works. I pray that as we go from here today, that we will go into the world renewed, refilled, re-enthused for our faith, and for the opportunities that we have before us to be the living presence of Jesus to other people. Use us for your glory. Lord, we pray it in your name. Amen.